You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Fourth class in the second series of the 14th class, and today's subject is, can you learn Torah from people who are Rishaim, people who are wicked? Now, there's a lot of terms that need defining. What's, what's a Rasha? Also, what's Torah? What exactly are you learning? But this has always been a very important question. It's been, always been a very important question because when you're learning some, something from someone, when you're receiving from someone, in some cases, it doesn't really matter what kind of person that person is. So, for example, if you go shopping, you don't need that before you check out and purchase your groceries, you don't need someone to run a background check on your cashier and make sure that they are um, morally grounded, that they live their lives in, a, in an appropriate way, because um, what does it matter to me what this random person does? But yet, when it comes to studying Torah from someone, we expect... Uh, that that person should have a certain um, righteousness about them, that that person should be um, in the realm of the tzaddik, or at least what we would call a benoni, but a rasha, to be a wicked person, there there's some questions as to whether you're allowed to learn Torah from such a person. So because we are in a debate in the Talmud, obviously we're going to look at a couple of passages in the Talmud, but as I'm sure some of you already guessed, the most important figure that we have to discuss within this discussion is a man called Elisha ben Avuya, also known as Acher. We've talked about him a, a number of times in, in this class, but w- we, we're going to focus today more on the second half of the story, which is not what actually happened to Acher but what the rabbi's response afterwards was. So, there is a teaching in the, this is a Gemara in Masechet Chagiga, Daf Ted Zion, meaning 16a, and this is what the Talmud tells us. There were four rabbis, you all know the story, so I'm going to go through it quickly. There were four rabbis who were nichnasu lepardes. They entered into the orchard, we don't have time now to get into what does that mean. They enter the orchard, what's the pardes? But it's some realm, um, intellectual realm or spiritual realm or whatever it was that the f- these four rabbis went into. Our sages tell us that Rabbi Akiva was nichnas b'shalom, v'yatsa b'shalom, or um, Allah b'shalom, v'yarad b'shalom. Rabbi Akiva was able to... Um, make it through and uh, without any issues. However, the other rabbis, not, not so much luck. We're told Ben Azai, um, in this process, he died. Ben Zoma, it's the, the language is Venifka, he was damaged, but it means that he was mentally not where he was before. And then we're told, Acher, Kitzetz Benetiot. Acher, he went into the orchard and he chopped down the young trees. He made destruction in the orchard. Says the Talmud, what happened? He went, he went into the orchard and he saw some things that he couldn't understand. He saw some things that he couldn't explain. The Talmud gives us what he saw in very cryptic terms very cryptic terms, which, again, needs discussion, but that's not our discussion for the day. The Talmud tells us that Acher was up in heaven, and he saw the angel, Matat, Memtet, Tet, Resh, Vav, Nun, um, which is really Matat and then Ron, but we just, we don't say the full name because we have respect, so we just say Matat. Um, So he saw the angel Matat was doing things that, that didn't make sense within the world of monotheism, whatever this means. And so his view and perspective of the world was corrupted. 
And so the Talmud tells us he was he, he decided to go off and he left. The Talmud tells us Yatsta Batkova Amra. A heavenly voice went out and said, Shuvu Banim Shovavim Chutzmi Acher. Now, if somebody hears such a, a voice from heaven that says that Acher is out, he's not welcome back. So he says, the Talmud tells us, Acher says, well, fine. If I'm out of Olam Abba, so I, logically, I might as well enjoy Olam Azeh. Nafak Acher Ra, the Talmud tells us, the first thing he did, Nafak Ashkach Zona. Tav'ah. That's the first place he went. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? So, Elisha ben Avuya uh, appears in the Bet Zonot and Tav'ah, he solicits the Zonot. Amr she says to him, V'lav Elisha ben Avuya at? Aren't you Elisha ben Avuya? So the Talmud tells us there was a row of vegetables in the garden outside and he went on Shabbat and he pulled out one of those vegetables and he gave it to her and he said Acherhu. That's one of the reasons why he's called Acher. Not because we called him Acher. Um, in heaven they called him Acher. But he's like, no, I'm someone else. So Acher had no... It wasn't, and this is very important, it wasn't like he made a mistake or made a lot of mistakes and he was struggling with them. He had a problem that he was trying to deal with. It wasn't any of that. He's already on the other side. Acherhu. That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm no longer worried about my religious state of being. I'm no longer worried about the halakha. I'm just going to enjoy this world because there's nothing in the next world for me. Says the Talmud that Acher um, asked Rabbi Meir a question about a certain teaching in the Torah. Rabbi Meir told him, this is what I think the explanation is. And Acher says to him, Rabbi Akiva Rabach Lo Amar Kach. He starts teaching him all these teachings of Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara goes on, uh, teaching after teaching. Um, I, I, I wish we had time to learn the individual teachings because they're all related to the story. But the point is that Elisha ben Avuya becomes, at, at this point, becomes the Rebbe of Rebbe Meir. Because Elisha ben Avuya has all this knowledge of Torah. And remember, in those days, the Talmud is not written down. So the entire Torah Shabal Peh is being passed along from teachers to students, and you have Elisha ben Avuya, who knows the entire Torah, he has all this knowledge, and Rabbi Meir is learning it from him. Tanu Rabbanan, our rabbis teach us, Ma'aseh Ba'acher, there's a story with Acher. He was riding on a horse on Shabbat. Shaya rochev ala sus b'Shabbat, this image is unbelievable. Elisha ben Avui on Shabbat is riding a horse. Yeah, that's how I live my life. And Rabbi Meir is walking behind him, receiving and collecting all this Torah from Elisha ben Avui. Amar lo. Elisha ben Avuya says to Rabbi Meir, Meir, chazor lacharecha. Go back. Shekvar shi'arti bi'ikveh hasus adkan t'chum Shabbat. I've been calculating with the footsteps of my horse that this is the t'chum of Shabbat. You can't go more. You're a religious Jew. And Rabbi Meir is so moved by his own Rabbi saying to him, you know, that's the t'chum. This is it. This is the limit for how far you can walk on Shabbat. He says to him, Chazobach, come back. Amar Leh, he says, no, no, no. Kvar marti lecha, kvar shamati meachore apargod. I heard from behind the curtain, whatever that means. Shuvu banim shovavim chutz meacher. 
And so there's this debate going on between Rabbi Meir and Elisha ben Avuya. Meir keeps trying to pull him back. Elisha ben Avuya refuses. He says, listen, Katshamati, I heard that mouth. I'm, I'm going I'm to enjoy this life as much as I can get and because there's nothing in the next world. The Talmud tells us, Takfei Alei Lebei Midrasha. Rabbi Meir grabs Elisha ben Avuya and drags him into the Beit Midrash. Because Rabbi Meir doesn't seem to believe that Acher is really out. He doesn't seem to believe that anyone is really out. And so he says, no, come, here's what we're going to do. In the old days, now don't try this today, because it won't work, but in the old days, there was a kind of goral, there was a lottery that people would do. Because in the old days, children would study Tanakh, they would start from Bereshit, Vara Elohim, Et HaShemayim, Et HaAretz, and then they would move through the Torah, into Yeshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, Melachim, um, the, the Nevi'im Rishonim, the Nevi'im Acharonim, then the Ketuvim, and the children would, would memorize verse after verse after verse. This was before teachers had to compete with, uh, with Super Mario and Nintendo, whatever um, the uh, PS, uh, whatever the current games are today. So in those days, children would memorize books. I mean, this is how they... So there was a goral where you can go to any child and tell him, Psokli psukech. What pasuk did you, are you in the middle of memorizing? Are you in the middle of learning? And then whatever the child would answer, that pasuk would reveal to you what you're supposed to do. It's a goral. Exactly how this works is not our discussion, but there are many instances in the, in the Talmud where individuals would pull over a child, when they have a question, pull over a child and say, psokli psukech. So Rabbi Meir grabs Elisha ben Avuya, pulls him into the base matters, and they pull over the first child, and they say, Psokli Psukech. The problem was that this child was in Yeshaya, Perak Memchet, and he says, Ein Shalom, Amar Hashem, Larashaim. There's no, there's, there, there, there ain't no rest for the wicked, would be the uh, modern translation. So, Reb Meir says, okay, ignore this child. Let's take another child. So they pull over another child. So this child is learning the book of Yirmiya, chapter 2. You can try to use as much shampoo and as much soap as you want. You will never erase your sins. So they come to pull over another child. So this child is learning Yirmiyahu, chapter 4. I don't know why... Um, you never want to learn your I mean, you have to learn it, but, but it says, V'at shadud, matasi, ki tilbeshishani, ki tadi, adi zahav, ki tikri'i, bapuchenayich, lashav titiapi. You, you vile, filthy object. You can put on all the nicest clothes you want. You can make yourself all nice with all the jewelry. You can put the puch, be'enayich. Lashav Titiapi, you're wasting your time. On and on and on, every, every child. The last one was a child who was learning Tehillim, Perek Nun, and he said, Ularasha Amar Elukim, Malachal Lesaper Chuki. Except this child, you know, little children, the way they speak, didn't say Ularasha. It sounded like Ulalisha. And the Talmud tells us, Elisha said, there's different versions, but we'll go with this version of the text. He said, if I would have had a knife on me, I would have killed the child. That's, that's how painful this, this experience was for him. Tells us the Talmud, When Acher died, Amri, they said in heaven, I don't know how the rabbis know this, but this is the tradition, Lo meidan ledayne, we don't judge him. Velo la'alme da'ate leiti, but he can't come to the olam Why? Lo meidan ledayne, we cannot judge him. Mishum da'asak ba'oraita, because he studied so much Torah. I want you to think about this, because... What, what does that mean? Right? But in heaven, they couldn't judge him because he studied too much Torah. 
but we can't send him to Olam Abba. So Elisha ben Avuya is what we didn't even realize exists, but he's in purgatory. He's in between. He's not able to be judged, so he's not going to gain him, but he's also not going to gain Eden because he was uh, Russia. Amar Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir said, nope. I'm going to arrange that when Rabbi Meir is going to leave the world, he's going to arrange that Elisha ben Avuya should be brought ladin, should be brought to judgment. Matai Amut, says Rabbi Meir, when I die, Ale Ashan Mikivro, you will see that smoke will rise from the kever of Elisha ben Avuya, and when Rabbi Meir died, all of a sudden smoke started rising from the kever of Elisha ben Avuya. Amma Rabbi Yochanan, listen to this, Gvurta Lemikla Rabbe, is that impressive to, 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 to burn your rabbi? What kind of a feat is that? And listen to these beautiful words. Chad have beinana, there was one amongst us. Haya echad mi beinenu. Manachtu lo yecholim laatzilota? The Gemara says, V'lo matzina laatzulei, we can't save him? How could this be? He's one of us. Matai amut? Rabbi Yochanan says, when I die, I will extinguish the smoke. I will end this. And the Gemara tells us, when Rabbi Yochanan passed away, the smoke stopped rising from the grave of Acher. Beautiful, beautiful. I just, the, the, there's so much to talk about here. But the idea that the rabbis, again, this is the way they're giving it over to us, that Elisha became a rasha, and Rabbi Meir was able to study and receive all this Torah from him. And, and all the Torah we have from Rabbi Meir is all because Rabbi Meir learned it from Elisha ben Avuya. But then, Rabbi Meir felt like, because he was the Talmud, he was the student of Elisha ben Avuya, he had to stand up for him. Well, how was he going to stand up for him? at least to bring him to din, to bring him to judgment. Let him go to Gehinom. And, uh, which means that that's better than nothing, right? Comes along Rabbi Yochanan and says, no, this is not some rasha. This is one of us. He went off, but we have to save him. So Rabbi Yochanan said he's going to save him. Okay, so far, so good. Tells us the Gemara. Bita shal acher atya lekamei the Rebbe. Elisha ben Avuya had a daughter, and she came before Rebbe, and she said, "Rebbe, parneseni." This is a young girl who has no way of sustaining herself, and she comes to the basically the chief rabbi, the Nasi, Rebbe Yehuda Nasi, and says, um, uh, "I need support." Amalai says, "Bat miat, tell me about your family." Amrallah, she said, Bito shal Acherani. I am the daughter of Acher. And I want you to listen very carefully to Rabbi Yehuda Nasi's response. Amrallah, he said, It's hard to say this, but this is what he said. Adayin yesh mizaro ba'olam. He still has descendants in this world. Vaktiv, it says in Iyov, Lo nin velo nechad ba'amo. Ve'in sirid b'magurav. Does not, he's not supposed to have any remnant. Which means he's saying, I'm not going to sustain you. I'm not going to support the daughter of Elisha ben Avuya. Now what does she say? It's interesting, her response. Because I, I think most of us would have responded, most of us would, would have responded with, why do I have to suffer because of his sins, right? right? That's, it's not supposed to be that you suffer for the sins. But she doesn't say that. She says, Why are you focused on his actions? Why aren't you focused on his Torah? And all this Torah that you have is because of him, so of course you should sustain his daughter. Out of gratitude for the Torah that he has taught you. Who is right? 
the Talmud tells us, Miyad Yarda Esh, V'sichsecha Safsalo Shal Rabbi. Fire came down. This is what the Talmud tells us. You can read this however you want. Literal, metaphorical. You can read it whatever it is. The point is that our sages are saying that fire came down and singed Rebbe's Safsal, his bench. Bacha. Rebbe begins to cry. And he said, If this is the way that in heaven they stand up for those who disgrace the Torah... Can we imagine the reward for those who bring honor to the Torah? So Rebbe can't, he can't understand, like, why is heaven helping to protect Elisha ben Avuya? He's a Rasha. He's a Rasha. He should be punished. His descendants should be punished. We, we shouldn't have anything to do with him. Asks the Talmud, the Rebbe Meir, Hechi Gamar Torah mi Puma Da'acher. So what's the answer? How does Rabbi Meir go and study Torah from Acher? So tell, um, and the Gemara backs this up with the following sentence. We heard from Rabbi Barbar in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. What is the meaning of, and this is the key here. This is a Pasuk in Malachi. The lips of the Kohen, they guard the knowledge. The Torah Yevakshumi Pihu and Torah you shall seek from his mouth. Why? Ki Malach Hashem Tzvakot Hu, because he is an angel of the of God. To which the Talmud tells us, Rabbi Yochanan taught us, Im Domeharab la Malach Hashem Tzvakot Yevakshu Torah Mi Pihu. If your Rebbe is like an angel of God, then you can seek Torah from him. The Imlav Al Yevakshu Torah Mi Pihu. But if not, don't learn Torah from him. Asks the Talmud, Malachi is telling us that we're only supposed to study Torah from someone who is a tzaddik, someone who is a Malach Hashem. So how can Rabbi Meir study Torah from him? So the Gemara has all kinds of answers. But the Gemara ends up saying that uh, let me just skip to this, to this next section. Rabbi Bar who is one of the sages of the Talmud, meets Eliyahu Hanavi. Amalei says, Maka Avida Kaddish Baruch Hu, what's God doing now? So there he starts talking Torah, and he said that in heaven, in Shamayim, they don't teach any Torah from Rabbi Meir. You hear this? In heaven, they don't teach any Torah from Rabbi Meir. Amalei says, Amai, Rabbi Meir? So he says, Mishim the Kagamar Shmaita mi Puma da Acher, because his Torah comes from Acher. Amale, he said, Amai. Rabbi Meir, Rimon Matzah. I think we've used this quote before. Rabbi Meir, he found a Rimon. Tocho Ochal, Klipato Zarak. He was able to eat the fruit and remove the pits. Don't you know? Even though Elisha ben Avuya was Acher, he was a Rasha. But the Rabbi Meir, was a professional student. And he knew how to take the fruit, the pre, from the rimon, without taking any of the klipa, without taking any of the junk. So Eliyahu told him, you're right, from now on, in heaven, they will study the Torah of Rabbi Meir. And the way the commentaries explain it, the way the commentaries explain it, is that in heaven, they can't teach Torah that we, the rabbis in this world, reject. Because the Beitin Shalma'ala follows the Beitin Shalmata. So as long as the rabbis were refusing to learn anything that Rabbi Meir said, in heaven they wouldn't quote from Rabbi Meir. But then, when the rabbis in this world realized that Rabbi Meir was able to take a rimon and remove the ochel and bizorek the klipa, then in heaven they taught in the name of Rabbi Meir as well. That's the first Gemara that we are going to look at him to begin to understand this question. So the question is, I, I know I read this whole Gemara, but um, this introduction is still very important. We're not discussing, um, you know, the way that we should. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to explain. But we're we're not so much discussing um, other areas. Of, of whether a person has to have a moral standing in order to have um, certain roles in the world. You know, for example, 
For example, a doctor. If there is a brain surgeon who can perform the surgery, except there's a problem, that this brain surgeon, this brain surgeon, is a very heavy smoker. Five packs a day. Are you going to refuse to get the surgery from this doctor because this doctor is a contradiction to everything he stands for? He's supposed to represent health and wellness five packs a day. Not everybody agrees. That's, that's a lot, right? But, but he's the best brain surgeon in the world. Are you going to refuse on principle to have surgery from this person or someone who's important to you to have surgery? No. No. In fact, I asked the doctor, and he said that there's no um, incentives for doctors to be healthier, that, that there's no system in place that they have, even though you would think, you come to a hospital, if, if the doctors don't look healthy, maybe it's a, a little bit scary, but it doesn't exist, because you know what? We say, listen, there's, there's a person, and there's their job. A person is able to professionally do their job, despite the fact that in their private life, they are the contradiction of that. So why should it be different with Torah? If, if we're meant to study, again, we're not defending the person's actions. They're doing what they're doing they shouldn't be doing. The question is, why should that affect the Torah that I need to receive and learn from this person? What difference should it make if this person is a good person or a bad person? Why is it different than a doctor? I think, I think because teaching the Torah is also morality. It's not just passing knowledge. It has values. It has other things. Alright, all right, let, let me push back on you, but stay with me here. So, why can't this person teach me morals and values without the person practicing the morals and values. They understand better than anyone else what's right and what's wrong. They don't care. They don't listen. But they understand. So he can explain to me what's the morally correct judgment in any situation or at least give me his, his wise and knowing opinion. So why shouldn't I take it? Just because he um, does all kinds of other terrible things. I think being a human being is, is the <laughs> number one for, for teaching and, you know... Oh, I agree with you. The question is why, right? What's the reason why here, for some reason, we're going to push and we're going to insist, no, we need, you, we need you to practice what you preach. Literally, that's what it means, right? Practice what you preach. Preach means if you're espousing some, some moral um, um, superior um, way of life, a morally superior way of life, then you should live it. Otherwise, there's something inherently wrong with, with following your morals. And I'm, again, I'm pushing back. Why? So it, it's, uh, sometimes the best questions in the world are the questions that we realize we should have asked a long time ago. But, but this is, this is a, a very I, important I question. I want to ask, for example, about the lawyer, that he's a wonderful lawyer, but he's unethical. How can you trust it? It's a hypocrisy. Well, I, I think we have to differentiate. Because if a lawyer is unethical, there's a bigger problem is that I don't think I'm going to get the right service. Meaning, I'm afraid he's going to do something unethical with me, which will ruin my case. But if you have a lawyer who's the best lawyer in the world, it just so happens that out of work, out of the law system. They are a terrible human being and they mistreat people and mistreat, um, uh, um, you know, um, but I know for a fact that this lawyer is going to get me out of, uh, is going to win the case for me. So I'm not so sure. I think there are plenty of principled people who will say no. I, I'm going to use a weird example, but let's go with this. Let's say you have the best lawyer in the world, but you know that they are very prejudiced, very racist, very anti-Semitic, very everything. They hate everyone. Maybe you're not racist if you hate everyone equally. I don't know. There's an old debate about that. But, but this person hates everyone. So would you hire this person to be your lawyer? I think there are people who are principled who would say, no, I don't want that. There are other people who say, what do I care if this person is the most evil, vile, filthy person who's going to walk down the street insulting everyone? I'm hiring this person to do a job. I'm not picking a side. I'm just saying it's not so simple if you can separate it. 
Because again, if the if the lawyer is going to be unethical in my case, then I don't want it for uh, more obvious reasons, right? That's the thing that with uh, with the brain surgeon, it's a, it's an outside service. It's removing whatever, and they don't control your life. They don't affect your life. They don't care about your life. You're just an item for them that they work on, finish, and leave. Whereas uh, a rabbi, it's a way of life. You cannot preach or um, tell people how to behave without doing it yourself. It's like a whole package. Okay, uh, but I want to know why. I, I, I think we're on the first step, step here, which is that you're suggesting that when a doctor gives you, I, 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 I'm, I hope I'm not putting words into your, into your mouth, but I, I think this is how I'm understanding. When the doctor gives you, me, um, you know, medicine, when the doctor gives you a medical service, that's all they're giving you. But when the rabbi is giving you Torah, he's not just giving you Torah. And because there's something else coming with it, we have to look at that much more closely. Okay. Okay, so now, what I'm going to do right now um, is, you, you all, everyone's heard of Alicia Benavuya, right? Everyone's, everyone's basically heard this story. Because it's a, very, it's a pretty incredible story in the Gemara. I, I'm going to take just a second and, and focus on this, but I think it's an important point. Um, this is clearly a, an example of where the rabbis were not trying to save face. Right? They're not covering over anything. They're not whitewashing. They're telling you the story, even though the story looks bad on the rabbis in a number of ways. Not just the fact that Elisha ben Avuya became an Acher, but even the struggle that the rabbis have afterwards, to the point where Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is reacting all the way in the other extreme and saying he won't even support his daughter. And then the rabbis are like, no, no, this is not the way. But nevertheless, this is the story that all of you know. I'm going to share with you another section in the Talmud. Mesechet Moed Katan. I know I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to try to do this quickly because I want to um, get into this discussion. This is the story in the Talmud that nobody shares. This is not in the Agadah story sections of the Talmud, but this is in the Halacha section of the Talmud. Listen to this, and uh, please feel free to, to um, raise any points, but I'm going to try to get through. This is a, the Talmud tells us there was a story. This is Mesechet Moed Katan, Dav Yud Zion, 17a. There was a certain rabbi, Dahavusanu Shum'ane, which literally translates as Shiyotzin Alav Shemuot Ra'ot. There were bad things being said about him. What kind of bad things? Hopefully we'll see. Amar Rabbi Yehuda said, Rabbi Yehuda, what should we do? Lishamte, to put him in, in cherem, to excommunicate him. Tzrichile Rabbanan, the rabbis need him. Meaning that in his city, he was the biggest rabbi. He was the most knowledgeable, he knew the most. Lo Lishamte, not to put him in cherem. Kamitchel Shema Dishmaya, it's a chilul Hashem. When a rabbi, a prestigious rabbi like that, does stuff like that, now we haven't yet told everyone what that, that is, but he was doing something, it's a chilul Hashem. And if it's a chilul Hashem, we've got to get rid of him. So they didn't know what to do. So they came, Rabbi Yehuda came to Rabbi Barbar Khana. He came to this rabbi, Rabbi Barbar Khana, and said, Midishmiyalachabaha. What do you do? What do I do? Do you know what I'm supposed to do in this situation? So he said, Hachi Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Ki sifte kohen yishmeru da'at v'torah yivakshu pihu. It says in Malachi that the lips of the kohen, they guard knowledge, v'torah yivakshu pihu, and we seek Torah from him. Why? Ki malach Hashem tzvakotu. Im domeh harav l'malach yivakshu Torah mipiv. V'im lav al yivakshu Torah mipiv. If the, if the rabbi is an angel, then you can study his Torah. If he's not, he's not. That sounds very similar to the story with Elisha, right? Shamte Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda put him in the cherem, excommunicated him, fired the rabbi, threw him out, out of the guild. Rabbi Yehuda got sick. And the rabbis came to visit him. 
And this one other rabbi who was excommunicated also came along. Anyway, the Gemara tells us an incident that occurred. And then Rabbi Yehuda died. And when this rabbi tried to get his cherem undone, he, um, he couldn't get it undone. And he remained in the cherem, he remained in excommunication, this rabbi, his entire life. The Talmud tells us that when they came to bury this rabbi, first they brought him to the Ma'ara of the Hasidim. I don't know what this means, but they had a Ma'ara, a cave, where they would bury the Hasidim, and the doors remained closed. They refused to let him in. Ailuhu lemarata daini. So they brought him to the cave of the regular rabbis, and it accepted him. Says the Talmud, if he's a Rasha, if he's a wicked person, then why did the cave of the regular rabbis accept him? Says the Talmud, because he did like Rabbi Eloi. The Tanya Rabbi Eloi Omer. Im adam mitgaber alav, makirin oto, the teaching of the Talmud that says that if somebody is going to do something wrong, you're going to do it anyway. Don't do it. But if you're going to do it anyway, go, uh, that's what it says, Imro'e Adam mitgaber alav. If a person sees that the Yetzahara is overwhelming him, he's going to do it. So don't do it in public. Go somewhere where nobody knows you. Yalbesh shchorim, yitatev shchorim, and you know what? Come back. You'll come back when you're done. But you don't have to make a mess in public. Says the Talmud that this rabbi, he did that. We don't know what he did. All we know is that he had a Yetzirah. And so he went, he went and he came back. And even though that's the right thing to do, meaning it's better than to make a public mess, nevertheless, we rejected him and we don't accept his Torah because whatever he did, we don't know exactly what happened, but we reject him. Why? Because he's not a Malach Hashem Tzvakot. In other words, we understand he did what he needed to do, but he's not a Malach, so he's not, but he deserves to be amongst the regular rabbis, just not amongst the special rabbis. So now here, we have a, a different issue. See, because here, we don't have an example of someone like Elisha ben Avuya, who had corrupted thoughts, who had um, philosophies that were incorrect. The Talmud tells us back in the Gemara in Chagiga, the Gemara said, how could it be? How could it be that a rabbi, like, what happened to the rule? We have a rule. Hama'or lemutav. The Torah is filled with light. It should, it should, it, how could someone go rotten? The Talmud tells us that Elisha ben Avuya Zemer Yevani lo pasak mi Elisha ben Avuya, even when he was a rabbi, he was always singing Greek songs. I don't know what the equivalent of that would be today, you know. I don't know if the rabbi is walking around singing pop songs. I, I, I don't know what that means. But the, then the Talmud tells us... Uh, that when he would stand up, there would be all kinds of books, not just Torah books, that would fall out of his lap. So we understand with Elisha ben Avuya, we're worried about his Torah, because like you said, when you take someone's Torah, you're taking also their morals. But, but that's true when someone is doing things where they believe the wrong things. But in this case, this rabbi didn't do anything openly wrong. It was all private and in secret. And yet somehow we're still worried that it's going to affect his Torah. So how do you understand that? Again, I, I, I want to clarify the question. What I'm saying is, we understand in the case of Elisha ben Avuya, where he's openly doing bad things. But in this other case, this rabbi is doing something in, in the privacy of, you know, in private. 
Why are we so afraid that that's going to corrupt his Torah? Maybe one comment here. The, uh, the teacher uh, is also, in some sense, a uh, leader. And I can give an example from uh, the Israeli army where uh, an officer really has to serve also as an example. And if he doesn't, is not able to serve as an example, he's demoted. So I guess it's similar in this respect that really a rabbi has to serve as an example, as a leader. And if he cannot do that, he has to be somehow demoted as well. I, I, I think that's beautifully put, that you know, the rabbi has to serve as an example. The question is, well, why can't we have a rabbi who doesn't serve as an example? You're right, that, that that's an advantage. But why is it so essentially intrinsic to being a rabbi and to the point where we can't, we can't split the two? Would you say the same for a history professor? Would you say the same for, for even a morality professor, an ethics professor? If an ethics professor is unethical, would you then say that their curriculum is, is essentially compromised? But, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with it. Obviously, the rabbi does need to be this example. But why are we so, so to the extreme that if he can't be the example, then we have to throw out everything? And, and, and I think that the example of the soldier, it, I think you're right. That's probably a really good example where, how, in, in case of the military, of course we want our officers to not only to instruct the younger, but to be examples of it. What, when then the question becomes, then why don't we do that with doctors? Why don't we have that your doctor should be someone who looks like they're in their peak of health so that they can then inspire you to be that way? The answer is because you, in your mind, can differentiate between the person and what they're giving you. And for some reason, you're not allowed to do that with Torah. Uh, that's, and in other places as well, obviously. So, the, the Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the Ben Ishchai, I'm sure you all heard some Torah from him, he, he, he phrases this in an interesting way. He says that there are two reasons why we don't learn from someone who is a Rasha. One, because, as you just said, because they provide a bad example, because their actions will be corrupt. And number two, he says, because inevitably some of that stuff will leak into the Torah. It means that it's not that you, it's not that I, the listener, can't differentiate between what's good and what's bad. It's that the person who's teaching is going to put so much bad into their teachings, their, their corrupted way of life. We, we don't, the, the philosophies, you know, for example... For example, let's take, uh, let's go with a, with a doctor who, who has too much, uh, uh, let's go with the crazy example we had, a doctor who smokes five packs a day. So he's inevitably, what we're saying is, when he's talking to you about quitting, he's not going to say it right, because he himself has justified his own behavior. Okay, so we don't make a big deal about doctors. But when it comes to a rabbi, because um, someone who's meant to be a teacher or, or a leader is also, in their own minds, justifying their own behavior at the same time, that's going to make it and sneak into the Torah. And so, says um, the Ben Ishchai, that's the problem. And that's why, rabbi, that's why Rabbi Meir is able to study from Elisha Ben Avuya. Because Rabbi Meir can do what no one else can do, which is to then, after the fact, after you've already received it, hold up the teachings like a pomegranate. Do you ever wonder why they use the example of the pomegranate? Rimon Matzah? Rimon Matzah. And Tocho Achal Klipato Zarak. That's the language of the Gemara. Why? Why use the example of the Rimon? Because the Rimon... His, is an interesting because it's got garbage on the outside and garbage on the inside. There's other fruits. You peel an orange and now you've got a fruit. You could just eat the whole thing. Okay, maybe there's little seeds you have to spit out. But the rimon, it's mamish avodah, every bite. Because by the rimon, the whole process is a process of birur, 
of birur, of the tov from the ra. And that's why our sages use an example. So what our sages are saying is that it depends not only on the teacher, but it also depends on the student. And that's the debate between Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, who refuses to sustain the daughter of, of Acher, because he feels like we have to get rid of this poison and destruction from the world, versus Rabbi Meir, who says, listen, it is what it is, let's try to take the good from the bad. There is one third story that belongs to this. Um, I don't know if I have time, but let me try. Let me try. I'm going to try to say this outside without reading the Talmud inside. The Talmud tells us that there was a spat, there was a dispute. I don't want to go into the details because it will take too much time, but there was a dispute between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehud and, and the Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel was the Nasi, and Rabbi Meir was not. There was a big fight between them, and Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel had Rabbi Meir thrown out of the Beit Midrash. And whenever they wanted something, they wanted to study Torah, they would pass letters through the window. They had a question, they would send out the question to Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Meir would send back in the answer. And everyone was frustrated. No one liked the system. You can imagine how disturbing that is, right? Yeah, every question you have to, have to send it out the window. So they came up with the following solution. The Talmud tells us that what they did was, they said, no, no, Rabbi Meir can come inside, but we don't quote Rabbi Meir anymore. We don't say Rabbi Meir Omer. Instead, we say, Acherim Omrim. Acherim Omrim. It's an interesting thing, right? To take all the teachings of Rabbi Meir, so the Talmud tells us that this... Um, that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was studying Talmud with his son, Shimon, Rabbi Shimon ben Rabbi, and he quoted Acherim Omrim. And his son said to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Mihem alalu shememehem anushotim ushmotam enanu maskirim. Who are these people? I didn't go into the other individuals involved. But he said, Mihem alalu. Who are these people? We quote their Torah all the time. Achirim Omrim, Achirim Omrim. And we don't say their names. And he says to him, well, they were bad people. So he said, um, he said, um, uh, whatever the whole discussion was, they went back to teaching in the name of Rabbi Meir. And this is why today, in the Talmud, there are still places where instead of saying Rabbi Meir Omer, it says Achirim Omrim. In Mishnayot, it says Acherim Omrim. Sometimes it says Yesh Omrim. That's referring to Rabbi Natan. But wherever it says Acherim Omrim, it's referring to Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi tried to remove at least the identification. What he said was, okay, we're going to have the Torah of Acher coming through Rabbi Meir. But let's not call it the Torah of Acher. Let's not call it by name. Let's not say Rabbi Meir Omrim. Instead, we're going to say Acherim Omrim. Like, at least there's a disclaimer at the bottom. You know, when, when, ha when Hank um, Aaron broke the... Uh, um, uh, let's leave the uh, sports examples. Um, the, when, when the new person broke the record, um, we'll stick with the example, someone suggests there should be an asterisk next to the record, because this person may have done something that they may have cheated, or they may have done something. So, in the same way, we want to keep an asterisk next to the um, Torah of Rabbi Meir to tell us, by the way, this comes from Acher, be very careful with it. What essentially we have is a big debate between the rabbis here. Rabbi Meir says, if someone's able to do it, let them go and study the Torah and receive this, because you can separate and pull apart the Torah, the bad from the good. And Rabbi Yudha Nasi says it's unable to be done. And it turns out in the end that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi compiled the Mishnah. Right? You know this. Rabbi Yudha Hanasi is the one who compiled the Mishnah. The Mishnah that he compiled, he ends up using the notes, the kuntresim of Rabbi Meir. Which means all the Torah that we have today 
all the Torah that we have today, a strong influence in all of that Torah is the Torah of Elisha ben Avuya. Because Rabbi Meir, his kuntresim, his notes became the foundation for the Mishnah. Rabbi Meir studied from Elisha ben Avuya. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi himself, who is the biggest critic, and he's the biggest opponent of including the Torah of Elisha ben Avuya, in the end has to admit that the whole Torah comes this way. And I'm wondering how it is that while Malachi says, if you want to be Torah Mavakshim Ipiu, it needs to be Malach Hashem Tzvakotu, like he's an angel. And yet, we seem to have rejected that. We seem to have taken a different approach, and we feel like, I think someone said, and that the rabbi has to, be a, has to be a human being first. On the other hand, the, the rabbi is only a human being. So, I'm going to put it out there um, as, as a question, but it's not an easy question to resolve. What we have is some sort of compromise, but exactly how to draw the lines is really not clear. If a rabbi is vile and wicked, certainly it's a lot harder to go there, but do we start measuring and analyzing what kind of sins he's doing? And do we start measuring and analyzing whether we're able to partition these kinds of sins from these actions? It's interesting uh, that in the world of art and literature, there is the same question to separate the artist from his art, or, or if he is immoral or, you know, a bad guy, his books can still have value and you have to read them and send them without. So it's the same discussion, I think. Right. It, it is interesting that, although I, I would say in most cases, in most cases when people attack um, either artists or other accomplished people and try to um, vilify their works because of their own actions, it usually involves not the person acting immorally, but the person acting antagonistically and hurting people. In other words, if someone is hateful or someone committed abuse of some kind, or some, I, I think there it's different because when we have a nirdaf, we have someone being chased, so we have to be matzild and nirdaf, and so that's why we want to stand up against, against the perpetrators of crimes against victims. But where the sins don't have victims, usually, at least, uh, there are exceptions to this, but usually, if, there's, it's, if it's a victimless crime, of which you have to really figure out whether there's any victimless crimes, we're usually more lenient in other places, but not when it comes to this. Yes, I wanted to say that the beauty of the Torah is that we don't have, like, the Christian saints. Every rabbi is a person, and everyone has, and in fact we see it even with the kings. King Shaul was a wonderful person. He couldn't kill. He was a, he was a really sweet heart, and he lost the kingdom. And King David, look what he did with Bathsheba. He had so many sins, and he, he, Mashiach ben David will come with him. So apparently, as you say, the Torah is from Acher, and basically our Mashiach ben David is from a person that did a lot of other wrongs. Right. Uh, well, either I... W I would want to argue and say, and say, no, David HaMelech is David HaMelech. Obviously, it's all on his level. But, but, but the Talmud tells us this. The Talmud tells us that, that Shaul was a bigger tzaddik than David. But, you know, sometimes these things don't work out that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what we have is essentially, it's almost like the rabbis have like a, what's called the Lakatchila and a Bedievet. Which means, in, in a perfect world, the people who would teach Torah would live that Torah, and we wouldn't run into this contradiction. But we don't live in a perfect world. And because we don't live in a perfect world, you have to expect, and sometimes I, I get this question all the time, you know, I thought this person was a rabbi. How could they do such a thing? I said, listen, if, if one in a hundred people are thieves, then one in a hundred rabbis is going to have a tendency to thievery. So will he, will he survive? Won't he survive? I don't know, that's up to him. But we have to understand that these are human beings. Now, I would expect better. I want him to do better. I, 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 but, but don't say, how could a rabbi do this? There's no magic potion. There's no, that once you get your, your smicha, all of a sudden your Yetzirah 
you know, goes on sabbatical. It, it doesn't work that way. So, that obviously, you have to try harder. If you can't try harder, find a different area to, to, to hang out in. But, but we do have to understand that on some level, but how far do we go? How far do we go? And even if you want to forgive the person, can you still accept this person's Torah? It's not an easy question, then. It also depends if he did something in the past, and he's now teaching and things, and he's, he, he did something, that was, or he's still doing it in the present. Uh, that's an excellent point. I uh, thank you so much. The, the, the Talmud tells us this in in Masech, uh, in Tanit. The Talmud tells us if you see a Torah sage doing committing a sin, al don't don't get over it because he probably did teshuva. That's what the Talmud tells us. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean that rabbis are more likely to do teshuva than anyone else. What it means is that if you see someone doing something one time. People make mistakes. Everyone gets a second chance, or a third chance, or a fourth chance. I don't know how many chances you get, but everyone gets chances. It's only when a person steps outside the world of chances you're describing, and starts behaving openly like this is the way that, that I do things. I don't care. Someone who is always a rabbi, who loses his temper, that's a bad thing. I've seen it. It's, it's a very painful experience to watch. A rabbi, and I say lose temper, I don't mean just, I mean lose temper. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. But if it happens one time, it's really not a big deal. You go to the people, you apologize, you fix it. If it happens a second time, you know, maybe it's a little harder. But if it happens all the time, and, and the person has no plans of changing it, and worse yet, they tell you, listen, this is the way I am, at that point, we run into a problem. I'm using a minor example of anger. Obviously, it gets much more serious once the examples grow. A little vindictive when it came to Elisha ben Abuya, and, and they had to close to kind of with different people, and they made him to be oh, Acher, and some some of it was personal, and they vilified. It it, it sounds vindictive in some ways, um, the way they described certain people who were <clears throat> the Metaton and and how he was beaten in heaven in Malkote Esh. They, they had their own personal vendetta against certain people and they just kind of wrapped it up in, uh, in halakha or in examples, explanations to make it sound a little better. They were humans after all as well. Well, you're right. The, the judges here are human too. I, I, I do want to say you know, the rabbis clearly are struggling themselves. Look at Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. I don't think anyone, any one of us agrees that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's original premise, which is to not sustain Elisha ben Avuya's daughter. I, I think we're, we're all... But we also don't understand the level of embarrassment that the rabbis were experiencing by this one... Because you, you should know, in the entire Talmud, he is the only one who did what... He's the only one... There may have been a second, but the second one came back. Elisha ben is the only one, and that's why Rabbi Yochanan, the language of Rabbi Yochanan, says, Chad like he's one of us. And that's really his biggest disagreement with Rabbi Yudha Anasi, is he says, we're treating him like he's a stain, on, and we're trying to get rid of him. We're supposed to be saving him. We're supposed to be interpreting, and you know what? I want to tell you something really amazing. In the Mishnah, we have a Masechta called Pirke Avot, Everyone knows what Pirkei Avot is, right? Ethical teachings. You'll be shocked by this. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the biggest opponent of Elisha ben Avuya, put Elisha ben Avuya into Pirkei Avot. Elisha ben Avuya Omer. Kalalomed, um, whatever, everyone can look it up. In the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avot. There's a teaching from Elisha ben Avuya, put in there by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, because he realizes and he understands that everyone Everyone is able to be saved, everyone is able to be, and everyone, can, you can focus on their good without focusing on the bad, even the worst kind of person, which is someone who knows the entire Torah, and someone who teaches Torah, and yet does these disgusting things. The Talmud tells us, if he would have, you know, just riding a horse on Shabbat, he went, he went, did all kinds of things. 
The Talmud tells us he was going to kill the child. He was going to commit murder on a young child because he thought he insulted him. He, he was bad. But you know what? There's something good that we can take from it. And we have to learn to start looking for the good in people. And I'm going to finish with this lesson, which is that we live in a world where there's so much fighting going on, so much polarization. I know the whole world is like that, and that's bad. But amongst the Jewish people too, amongst ourselves. And part of the reason is because we're so focused on the bad things that those people have done, on the bad things that these people have done to me, we're all so focused on the bad. Why don't we start looking for the good things in each other? Elisha ben Avuya had so much Torah. He had so many teachings. He had so much goodness within him. And we have to find a way of being able to look at that. And that's the struggle that the rabbis... This, this is a struggle. I think the way you put it, I think that's fair. The rabbis are kind of having a personal agenda here too. This is not easy. But we have to be able to change the world in a way where we focus on the positive. Um, Shaul is good. David is good. Elisha ben Avuya is good. Rabbi Meir is good. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.